All right. Today I'm sitting down with fourth year organ health and science school of medicine medical student Forrest Wells to talk about what it's like out there on the interview trail. Uh, so Forrest, welcome. Thanks for sitting down with eMedCast. Um, can we just start tell people who you are, where you're from, how you got into emergency medicine, all the stuff. Yeah, really excited to be here today. I've been listening to the podcast for many years, so excited to hear my own voice on it when this show comes out. Uh, I actually came into emergency medicine um, kind of before I ever came into medical school. I was pretty active in my college's outdoor program, and part of that was getting some wilderness medicine training. I fell in love with that training. That inspired me to take an EMT basic course, and by that point, I was hooked. Came to medical school, explored around, but uh, really knew in my heart most of the way through that I was going into emergency medicine. Um, after a couple of sub-internship experiences, it really sealed the deal for me. Um, and uh, being out on the interview trail has really reaffirmed that passion for me as well. Uh, I have been pretty active uh, in medical school in a couple of different realms, um, primarily the, the wilderness medicine realm. Um, I was involved with the wilderness medicine interest group here at OHSU. Uh, I did some research as like a medical student scholarly project in wilderness medicine that was actually just recently published. Um, and then I uh, started a, a wilderness medicine conference a couple years ago and have since been working on a nonprofit to support that conference. So. Uh, it's been kind of a wild ride. It's impressive how quick it's gone. Um, and yeah I'm, yeah, I'm happy to be here and talk a little bit about what the interview trail was like for me. Excellent, excellent. All right, I got to ask a follow-up. Can you tell us some specifics? Let's start with the research. What was your research specifically on and where is it uh, recently published? Absolutely. So I worked for uh, the Northwest Outward Bound School for three years prior to coming to medical school. Uh, part of their operations is to keep a really detailed track of the medical incidents that happen on their course. And as a field instructor, I can tell you I was involved in a couple of, in of those incidents, so I was able to contribute to that body of knowledge. Uh, they use that information for internal quality improvement, but until now it hasn't really been looked at in a systematic way or published publicly. So I took that database um, and used some pretty basic statistical tests to determine what types of injuries, illnesses, evacuations were happening on those courses and compared that to data from um, other outdoor expedition providers out there. And it just got published in the December 2018 episode, or issue of Wilderness Environmental Medicine Journal. Nice, legit. Yeah, that's legit. pretty exciting. Uh, and where are you from, Force? I kind of grew up all over. I call Ashland, Oregon home. Right on. Excellent. Uh, and so one of the things I want to talk about is um, you just finished the interview trail, as they seem to call it. Congratulations. Thank you. You did it. it for those of us uh, that haven't gone through that process yet, that seems like this great, you know, I know in medicine we're learning as students that there are no real finish lines. There's always more to do and more to achieve. But, man, as a medical student, to get interviews, attend them successfully, and that's a pretty nice bow on the uh, at least the undergraduate side of things. How's it feel? So good, dude. I, uh, you know, you, you hear a lot from fourth years who tell you that fourth year is so much easier than the rest of medical school, and I was always inclined to call bullshit on that, because it's still medical school, it still feels like it should be hard, but now that the interviews are out of the way for me, and I'm able to really just focus my coursework on stuff that I'm interested in, it just takes a big pressure off the shoulders and kind of lets, lets me feel like I'm focusing on stuff that I'm passionate about in a low-stress environment, so I'm, I'm pretty excited and... Uh, Pretty happy to be done with interviews. The promised land. Yeah, we made it. The promised land. You did it. Uh, well, let's talk specifics about interviews. And uh, our goal today will be to, you know, hear, hear 
what your experience was like out there uh, and so that those of us that are coming through the pipeline in the coming years you know, can, can learn from those that have gone before us. Um, one of the things I've found as a medical student is that that's kind of the best way to understand this whole process is to check in and chat with senior students, whether it's about a specific test or a specific part of the process or a specific clerkship. So um, that's our goal today. So let's start with just the nuts and bolts. Um, where, how many, how did you decide how many, let's start with the application process. Before you got interviews, how did you even decide where to apply? And, you know, what we're hearing now in emergency medicine is the number of places that people apply is climbing and you hear all kinds of crazy numbers and stories. Can you just tell us what that process was like for you? Yeah. So kind of the big picture advice I would have is remain calm. Uh, the, the numbers of applications per student are rising, but if you look at the percentage of students that match year to year, it's actually stayed constant for a pretty long time. So if you're interested in emergency medicine, the application process is probably harder now than it's ever been, but your chances of being an ER doctor are still very good. So you hear um, that, people? Stay calm. <laughs> Uh, in terms of where I decided to apply and how many places I decided to apply to, this is just a very personalized question. Um, I applied to three. Uh, a large part of my rationale was that once you apply to 31, the applications start to get a lot more expensive per school you apply to. Uh, but really, you should make this decision in consultation with one of your advisors at whatever school you're at. So uh, here at OHSU, I worked a lot with Anna Nelson and with Dave Jones and am forever indebted for their, their thoughts throughout this process. It's so helpful to have someone to look at your application and tell you, you know, what they think is good about it, what they recommend you change about it, uh, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, uh, how strong of an applicant you are on Gestalt. You know, I think almost everyone listening to this podcast is going to get into an emergency medicine residency um, some people will have to work harder than others, and if you're going to have to work harder, then you want to work harder because you want to get into that residency. Uh, so it's useful to, to talk to your advisor so you don't end up working harder than you have to. I heard anywhere from 30 to 40 um, based on my application for me, and, and like I said, I've kind of tried to adopt a low-stress approach to this season, um, and it seemed to me like beyond about 20, I was starting to apply to schools that I wasn't really that excited about going to. Um, so I, I kind of capped it at 30. Do you, when you're out there on the interview trail and interacting with students from other programs and other parts of the country, do you think that, you know, recognizing it's very personal for each person, uh, did you hear similar numbers out there, people getting the similar advice from their advisors in different programs? Uh, I've heard numbers typically from 30 to 60, um, and, you know, not to... I'm a pretty strong applicant by the numbers, um, so I think that helped me. Um, I think that most applicants from U.S. MD schools yeah. uh, will, will probably be applying into that 30 to 60 range. Um, applicants from international schools or from some DO schools may want to apply a little bit more broadly. Um, but yeah, kind of, kind of somewhere in there. Really, the, the thing to keep in mind is it's not how many schools you apply to, it's how many schools you interview at. Um, so your, your application strategy should be based on what your advisor thinks you need to apply to to get about 10 to 15 interviews. Excellent, excellent. So yeah, just make sure you check in with your advisor and your personal application will determine uh, that strategy to get those interviews. So with that being said, 
uh, how'd that work out for you? If you applied to 30 programs, if you don't mind telling us how many interview invitations shook out at the end of it from there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I led a very blessed life in September, October when a lot of these invitations came out. Um, I So I applied to 30. Uh, I think I was outright rejected at about five and ghosted by about three or five more. So just never heard back from them. But at this point, that's a no. Um, and then I got about 20 invites. And I, uh, I took 10 of those counting the one at my home institution, OHSU, and then counting the one that I did um, at the end of my away rotation. So 10 interviews total. I will put a plug here that I think it's important to only accept as many interviews as you're actually going to go to. I think that's a big part of the race to the bottom in the emergency medicine application cycle is that as people get nervous, they feel like they need to hold on to 20, 25 interviews and yeah. those are just holding up spots that other students would love to fill. Yeah. You hold on to those spots for three months and then drop them last minute, and those other students are, are left with empty hands. Kind of just a logistics question with the timing. With that in mind, are interview invitations, it sounds like a big push comes early in the process, you know, in October, somewhere between when applications are complete or mostly complete and when uh, Dean's letters go out. There's an early push where a batch of invitations go out. And then after that, as people turn down invitations, as the numbers shuffle around, uh, was it your experience that people were getting invitations to places throughout the course of interview season? How does that sort of shake out for people or for you in particular? Absolutely. I had, I had friends who were getting invites in late December, early January. Um, for me, I got most of the invites that I was most interested in pretty early on. Um, it was good, huh? It, it was nice. And it's, you know, it's so much more convenient because you can plan your travel yeah. more. Yeah. Um, but it's like that, that convenience really like affects your life for a few weeks, whereas like getting the interview is what's important. So if you end up getting it in January, that's still great news. Be excited. Go out there. Have a good time. For sure. For sure. Excellent. So you get, you get your invites, you get more than 10, so then you decide to go to 10-ish. You went, mm -hmm. you went to 10. How did you narrow it down? What were the things, and again, personal choice, I'm sure, but what were the things that were important to you? You know, I think about, we get on the internet, we talk to friends, we ask our mm -hmm. advisors, but how do you, you know, what if, what if you took one off your list based on a crappy website? And you never got a chance to see that those were your people there. Like, you know, how do you decide? I hate to say it. I, I probably did take at least several on my list based off a crappy website. <laughs> uh, and you know, like I think part, part of the, the other big picture part of this process is that most students will be happy at most programs. Um, and that search for the perfect fit is hugely stressful. But once you accept that your goal is to end up with a good fit, uh, it just becomes so much easier and more enjoyable. Um, so to circle back and actually answer your question, I before I even uh, sent in my applications, I had kind of a preliminary rank list. So I knew I was applying to 30 programs, and I took the time to rank them 1 through 30. That way, when invites started coming in, once I hit 10 invites, if I got an 11th invite, I could look at where it landed in that rank list and decide, do I accept this invite if so, what other school do I send a polite email declining the interview to? Um, and that way, I never found myself holding on to 10 interviews and keeping other applicants from those spots. In terms of how I made my decision, um, 
you know, a, a big part of it was talking to friends, talking to residency advisors. Uh, a big part of it was geographic for me. Sure. Um, and as someone who's been you know, primarily based in the Western United States uh, and interested in, in outdoor recreation, that really narrows the field quite a lot. Right? If you take New York City, Chicago, and Los Angeles off the map, suddenly you're looking at quite like many fewer programs than before. So sure. um, that was kind of the big first cut. And then based off of programs that I'd heard good things about from my friends, from my advisors, and then going into the websites, trying to read more, um, you know, really probably the most useful thing for me is to just cut right to the list of current residents on the website. Almost every program will have a list of the people that are there currently yeah. and will often tell you about like what those people are interested in, what they've been doing, what they, what their path to residency was. Um, I spent a lot of time reading those little bios and kind of getting a sense of like, does this sound like me? Does this sound like somewhere that I want to be and the people that I want to be with? Cool. Well, when you got out there, so um, out there on the trail, you've got your spots, you're headed to interviews, you get your dates, you play the calendar game, and then you meet these residents and these faculty groups and these many cultures that you've stalked online and decided that they're part of your group that you think Stalk you're going to like. kind of a strong word, but okay, yeah. <laughs> Research online. <laughs> yeah. Stalked, yeah, that does sound a little bit like you were digging into Facebook pages, but you went to the online, you got a little bio about people, you got to feel for the program as much as you could. What was your sense? Was that a useful way to do it when you got there? Did programs match what you expected? Were there any surprises? Were there programs that you're surprised how much you liked them or programs that you got there and thought, this is not the program that I imagined in my head before I was on the grounds? I know they're all good mm -hmm. and it comes down to some just sort of feelings. What was it like for you? With oh, feelings. <laughs> I, say, I love talking about my feelings <laughs> on there. I would, so I would say 80% of it matched. Um, yeah, I would yeah. say about 80% about of the programs, whether I had a good feeling going in or a bad feeling going in, when I got there, it kind of fit with what I thought. Yeah. Um, and even down to specifics of, like, I had some programs where I thought, yeah, I think I would get a good training here, but I don't think I'm going to fit great with the residents. Uh, or these seem like people that I'd love to hang out with, but I don't think that this city is somewhere that I want to live in. Yeah. Um, having done that research uh, helped a lot, and when I actually physically went there, I found that it uh, matched pretty well with what I saw. Um, in terms of like interacting with, with residents and faculty when I was there... Um, I'd say really the only, most of the surprises I had were positive. Like there are, the, it's important to keep in mind that going off of the website can give you information, but sometimes there's information that it doesn't give you. So sure. there are definitely a handful of programs um, where the website was like a little bit concerning and I wasn't sure if it was going to be a good fit for me. But when I got there, I, I was surprised by how much I liked it, surprised by all that they had to offer. So it's, it's still important to keep an open mind going in. Right on. Excellent. And so when you get to programs... Um, one of the things that we hear about are the social events, the dinners that, and obviously, you know, don't make a fool of yourself, be nice to everyone. These are good rules for all of life that, uh, I know we don't all, uh, not everyone has learned those lessons, turns out, but, um, besides not drinking too much and making a fool of yourself and not being an asshole, can you tell us about did you attend the social events? Did you make it a point to travel to a city in time to do a night before or stay a night? Is How does that sort of wash out in real life? 
absolutely go to the social events. Um, that's a that's a big point. So both for you in terms of your your knowledge and also for the program because it, it shows a level of commitment. It shows a level of interest. Um, I actually had one social event that I didn't go to um, because I, I went to a um, shadow in the department prior to the social event. Got, got a pretty bad feel from the department, to be honest. Like, 30 minutes in, I realized I did not want to be there. I did not want to go to residency there. Um, and I was super haggard from, from travel earlier in the week. I just wanted to go back to the hotel and sleep. Um, and people asked me, like, are you going to the dinner tonight? Are you going to the dinner tonight? And I kept hedging, like, ah, maybe I'll be there, maybe I won't be there. Um, and I got some pretty sternly worded, like, we like applicants to be there. <laughs> uh, so that's going to end up pretty low on my rank list anyway, but I think I will probably end up significantly lower on their list because I chose not to go to the dinner. Um, with that said, like, they're a lot of fun. If it's a place where you want to go and somewhere that you're genuinely interested in, it's, it's an opportunity to go get a free meal and hang out with some people that you're interested in and, and would want to hang out with for the next three years. Um, you know, it, it ran the full range from uh, dinners where we would go out to a restaurant in town um, to actually probably my favorite interview dinner. Uh, I'm going to give a big shout out to University of New Mexico for this one. Hosted it at a resident's home. And uh, not only was that the resident's home, but the resident personally made like six huge vats of chili for everyone there. And it was just this, like, it was pretty much what I would do on an ideal Friday night hanging out with friends. Like, yeah. we were eating food, having some delicious beers. There's like 10 dogs in the room. Um, and it, it just, it fit well for me. And yeah. so, like, that, I think that's what's really useful is you get, you kind of get a sense of, of how much you're going to fit in. Um, and, and, and you have a lot of fun. And you get a free meal. And, like, I was on the road for three weeks, so I, I pretty much lived off of interview dinners and then interview lunches and... And the occasional free interview breakfast. So, so you gotta get that free food where you can. Yeah, that's probably like a don't on your don't list is don't eat too much. But I did that. <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully, it'll work out for me. Listen, when you're out there on the interview trail, how many other? Again, it'll vary a little bit program to program. But how many other students are there at the same time as you? Mm, good question. Um, neighborhood of ten. And do you think that? strategies and I hate to even call it strategy because it's sort of just good life behavior to mm -hmm. socialize with people that you are getting to know and they're getting to know you but um did you was your experience out there on the trail that everyone was kind of on the same page with those 10 groups of students at the different places or did you did that group of 10 students represent a whole mix of I don't even want to call, I don't know what else to call it social strategy what were the what were the other students like there out on the trail I'm sure you met some awesome people. Yeah. Do you have any stories about what to do or what not to do yeah. that you learned from being in that little mini social group? All yeah, that's a good country? question. I think kind of the, you know, the, the big takeaway that I would give is do not treat the pre-interview dinner like an extension of the interview. Like it, it is an extension of the interview, so don't, don't cock it up. But at the same time, like you, you're not, your job is not to go there and act like you're able to interview for two days in a row. Your job is to go there and be a real person. Like residency programs want people that they're going to want to hang out with for three years and they can kind of get a sense of that during the formal interview um but i think they really get a sense of that during the social event um inter i i saw students that were really good at that and i saw students that were less good at that um i i think that it's important to have a few 
questions specific to the program to be able to ask residents, both to show that you're engaged and also because you want answers to those questions. I would avoid um, turning the whole night into like a series of rapid fire like interrogation of the residents. Like, what's your yeah. caseload? How many procedures do you get? Which attendings are good? Which attendings are bad? What are the research opportunities? Like, you're there to hang out. And part of that conversation is asking the residents what their lives look like, what they're interested in, what their passions are inside medicine, outside medicine. Um, and I think the, be the best students were, I would say the best students are the ones where they were talking with the resident and I wanted to just kind of like sidle up and hang out for a little bit. Like it just seemed like such an interesting, fun, low-key, relaxed conversation. Um, I would say ones that I've seen it done not so well is when students have like clearly have a list of like their top like 20 questions to ask residents at each program yeah. and they're kind of rolling through those lists and it um even if it's well-intentioned it comes across as just a little bit too uptight and it's this is your opportunity to to interact with people in a more relaxed forum yeah which sometimes easier said than done right you know there's pressure you're in a new city some of us have you know you're very sociable guys comes easy for you so I, I think that that's something to uh, be aware of, your individual strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but and, and be aware of how you feel during those interactions, right? Like I definitely yeah. had residency dinners where 30 minutes in, I realized that I felt awkward. I was having trouble pushing the conversation forward. I was uh, falling back on my list of top 20 questions sure. to ask residents. And it was like, this is just not a good fit. Like I'm not, I don't have... A foundation to interact with these people on other than we're both interested in emergency medicine yeah um and and that was uh, a sign to me that maybe that program wasn't the best fit for me where i would say probably most of my residency uh like social events it felt like it flowed naturally but not not because i'm that sociable but because like these are people that i would genuinely love to hang out with yeah i think somebody uh, told me, you know, one of the ways to evaluate a program is to see, you know, evaluate how the residents behave and how they're acting and just in the sense of, do they seem happy? Are they coming to the, how many residents show up to the optional dinner? And I know that their schedules get saturated, especially certain times of the interview season, but little things like that was, how did you use that as a way to measure what programs were like as far as, um, were you able to get a sense that the residents were happy or that the, you know, what was your experience sort of a value besides, you know, hanging out and enjoying the resident's time? Did you use the resident group as a way to evaluate how things to put yourself in their position or evaluate how the program was going? Yeah, I did. I think probably the, the, the question that was more pertinent to me at most of the time was how well do I feel like I fit with these residents? Like there were a few... There's an interview dinner I went to where they're like really big into like football or basketball or whatever it was, and they're talking about sports ball and all the touch hoops and kick touchdowns or whatever. And it was like <laughs> they were happy, but it was clearly not like not a thing that was going to make me happy. Yeah. And then I went to another interview dinner where like I was asking the residents where all the secret backcountry powder stashes were for skiing, and that was a better fit for me. Yeah. Um, so I think primacy is like look for the fit. Because yeah. most residents at most places are, are going to be happy. Like, you, you chose a good specialty to go into. Um, like, that that was the thing that became most abundantly clear to me during interview season. Was like, thank God I chose to go into emergency medicine. Because really, by and large, these are really cool people that I'm looking forward to working with. Um, with that said, like, y y there definitely were programs where it felt like 
the residents were maybe a little bit overworked or tired or cynical. And I don't think that there's a secret to picking up on that. It's just like any other interaction you'll have with anyone. There's, there's not like a special brand of cynicism in emergency medicine. It's the same cynicism that you would see anywhere else in your life. Sure. Sure. Uh, was there anything about the process that surprised you? I mean, it sounds like you came in, you know, you, you had your ducks in a row, you research programs, you were targeting emergency medicine early in the game, um, at least early enough to plan for interview season, get your stuff lined up. Was there anything about the interview process in general, looking back on it, that was different than you expected? It was a lot more engaging than I thought it would be. Um, you know, I'd, I'd heard that emergency medicine interviews tend to be fairly easy or at least not non-confrontational, right? Like I, I heard a story of a, a surgery interview and, and nothing against the specialty, but of a surgery interview where like applicants actually had to demonstrate suturing skills in the middle of the interview. And that's like, that's puckering. Like I hate the idea of that. Whereas emergency yeah. medicine, it was the, the reputation is that the interviews are pretty laid back and relaxed. And I, I, that held true to form. What was surprising to me was the depth of conversations that I still got to have. Um, I had I had interviews where I walked away learning more about myself. I had interviews where I walked away understanding my research better than I did when I walked into the interview. Um, it was, I was surprised at like how sweet it was, <laughs> like how sweet it was to like go to these places, meet cool people, learn more about myself, answer, get some answers to, like, philosophical questions about the specialty that I'd had walking in. Um, it, it didn't feel like a job interview. It felt like uh, a series of conversations with people in a field that I'm interested in being in. Awesome. It's good that, you know, one of the best things about interacting with students on your timeline, and so right now, for those that are listening just wrapped up all of your interviews so you're in this like smiley energized not coasting because you're still working hard I had to catch you at the end of a long day here um, but just as a student who's not that far along in the process it's always great to see students succeeding and happy and stoked about the specialty and you know all these things that we believe in our hearts but sometimes the process you know kind of beats out of us temporarily so I appreciate your positive attitude and your yeah. excitement. And, and I think that's it, man. You got to stay stoked about it. All this, you know, one of the things that I try to never do is dread any steps of this process because it's all, it all has its benefits. So I'm glad you enjoyed it out there on the interview trail. Is there any advice that you would have given yourself before interviews started now that you've been through it? I think kind of largely what you just touched on, Tate, in terms of uh, staying upbeat about the whole process, um, both because it allows you to put your best foot forward uh, during the interview and because it's, it's going to be anywhere from one to three months of your life and uh, finding a way to like enjoy that and make the most of it is pretty important. Um, like there, there were times in this process where I was away from home for literally three weeks in a row and like... It's not a lot of fun living out of your suitcase for three weeks, but if you can find the, the aspect of it that is fun, not only does that make you uh, a better personality to engage with in an interview, it also makes that three weeks of your life a little bit more like a vacation, a little bit less like a business trip. Awesome. 
Did you were you able to squeeze in any actual vacation or cool adventures? <laughs> so skiing in? Uh, no skiing. I, I came like this close, and this is my my fingers very close together for y'all you listening at home <laughs> to uh, to bringing my skis with me during this three week trip. But it was going to be I think I had counting connecting flights like. 20-some flights over the course of three weeks, and really only, like, one place that I was going to be able to ski. So I, I nixed yeah. that plan. Um, but what I did do when I was uh, out in New Hampshire interviewing, I was staying with a friend of mine who's a resident at the program there, um, and her husband is just this super badass, old-school New Englander, outdoorsy-type individual. And, uh, you know, I you know I kind of expressed, like, yeah, I'd love to, to do something outside, or, like, we could, you know, I don't know, do something fun. Uh, get a little bit of exercise, decompress, work off all of these free interview dinners um, <laughs> of pub food that I've been eating. Yep. Um, and he sends me a text back that says, like, yeah, it's a, it sounds like a great plan. If it's, uh, you know, greater than 20 degrees, we can go climbing. And I'm thinking, like, okay, like ice climbing? Are we talking about, like, climbing inside? And I show up, and he's ready to take me to Rumney, which is a famous climbing area in New Hampshire. Uh, I don't have my shoes. I borrow... His wife's shoes, which are like a size and a half too small for me. For those of you that know climbing shoe sizing, that's like, I, I signed off my circulation of my feet the moment I put those shoes on. And uh, we're at Rumney. Uh, he says, as long as it's 20 degrees and sunny, we can go climbing. We get there, and the sun dips behind the clouds. It's exactly 19 degrees. He's like, I think we can go climbing anyway. We spent the whole day uh, working our way up these climbing routes, just freezing. Uh, but I don't know. That was actually a high point of the, the interview trail for me was... Uh, just appreciating kind of the local flavor, appreciating what um, what these areas would have to offer for me that are so different than what I experience here in Portland. Yeah, in other spots, yeah. I mean, it seems like such a jam-packed schedule and sort of this world when you get there, you do you know, the dinner event or whatever, social, and then you spend a chunk of time at the program and then, you know, you got to eat and sleep in between. Were you able or did you have any strategy for each of these different cities or towns to you know, say, did you, did you set sort of goals to get some taste of the town? How do, how do you go about that? So yeah. you're not just seeing the airport and the school or the hospital. Yeah. So first thing, I would definitely dedicate a full 48 hours to anywhere that you're seriously interested in. I would say um, like the minimum bare bones interview visit, in my book at least, is enough time to get there shadow for three to four hours in the department and can't emphasize that enough uh this is not something that like you're required to do um but i think that shadowing in the department is the best way to get a feel for what your job will be like for the next three years um and residency programs really respect it um they like that you take the initiative to reach out to the program coordinator and say hey i love your program i want to learn more about it can you set me up with a shadow shift so there's that you show up you shadow go to the interview dinner do the interview, and then fly out. So that's kind of like the minimum. That takes probably about two days. Like if you fly in the night before, fly out the night, kind of later in the evening after the interview, you can kind of fit that into a, a two-day trip. Then in the places where I was, um, that I was really stoked on, I would kind of add in a third or a fourth day to experience whatever of that area was most interesting for me. So for me, that was a lot of trail runs. That was a little bit of climbing here and there. Um, for other people, it might be going and checking out the food scene a little more, or like going to the museums. Um, but I think it is important to get a sense of what the city is like, because um, those are the intangibles that you can really only pick up while you're there. And it's, I think, worth scheduling a little extra time to pick those up. Excellent. Excellent. Um, 
when you were at each of the different spots, what kind of, at the end of this 48 hours or at the end of the interview day, were there any specific notes about programs that you used that you jotted down? Or what was your strategy to either maintain your mental list of ranking or to change it or to have notes to go back to? You know, when you're three weeks of nonstop travel, how do you keep it from all blurring together when you're comparing program to program, especially when they're close? Yeah, so I did two things. Uh, first off, and probably most important, I maintained a rank list as I went. Right, so the first place I interviewed at was number one on my list, and then as I interviewed at more places, I would bump the top position down or up or whatever, but I, I ranked the programs as I interviewed at them so that I wasn't left looking back and trying to take 10 programs that were on even footing and assemble them into a hierarchy. The other thing that I did, I um, did write notes on programs. Um, actually, I probably did about three-fourths of the note writing going into the interview, which is really nice. Like I researched the program based off of their website, which told me a lot about factors that were interesting to me and also gave me a lot to talk about during the interview. Mm -hmm. uh, I also researched the city a lot, uh, looked at the demographics of the city, looked at what the climate would be like there, what the opportunities for recreation would be like. Um, and, and again, that, like, that sent me into the interview much more prepared. And then when I came out of the interview, all I had to do was jot down whatever new or surprising things I learned during the interview day. Excellent. How, how much did that list change? I mean, I know, as you say, uh, this really uh, interesting strategy of changing your list at every stop. Um, but how different was your final list compared to your pre-interview list? Yeah, very similar. So I, yeah. I told you earlier that, like, even before I started going on interviews, I had kind of a rough rank list. Sure. Right? Um, and I think maybe three programs on that list kind of changed positions. Um, by and large, what I thought before was mostly confirmed by what I saw when I was there. And I, th I think that's probably for the better, right? Like, the, the interview is your most valuable piece of information in ranking your program, uh, but it's only one piece of the puzzle. And you gotta really start scratching your head if you've got a wildly different view of a program on paper from all of your research beforehand compared to the experience that you had at the interview. Um, something's either wrong with you or something's wrong with the... Right, like you had a really good day or a really bad day at the interview and that, like you don't want a bad, one bad experience to sour you to a program and, and maybe even more importantly, you don't want to look at a program and think this is absolutely not something I'm interested in, have a great interview day and commit to the program based on your interview day and then find out on day two of your internship that it is in fact not a great fit for you. Yeah, yeah. Is there any specific questions, you know, they always, people say you should have questions to ask of the program, that makes tons of sense every program as you research it before going into it, and that's going to help generate your questions. But what questions did you find were actually most useful for comparing programs or for learning, um, you know, when they get to, like, that point in the tour day or whatever and say, do you have any questions? And you get asked that at every stop. Which ones that you heard or that you used were your kind of go-to useful ones? Yeah, gosh, that is such a hard part of the interview trail because – Starting the night before at the resident dinner, everyone you talk to is going to ask, what questions do you have about the program? Yeah. And by like halfway through the dinner, you run through all your questions and the next day you're like, oh God, what do I ask during interviews? 
Uh, some of the ones that I fell back on a lot, um, I asked a lot about boarding in the emergency department. Um, you got to be careful to do it in like kind of a non-confrontational way because it's uh, it's something that a lot of departments struggle with. And for me, the question wasn't so much like, is this something your department struggles with, but rather, how is this affecting your department? How are you working to deal with it? How will this affect my learning? Um, so I, I, I like to talk to people about boarding in the emergency department, both because it's a pertinent question for residency and also because I think it's one of the... Um, one of the rising difficulties that's facing our specialty. And it's, it's really interesting to sit down with bright minds in the field and see how they think about this. Um, I would say that, that that's actually kind of how I, I viewed most of the questions that I fell back to, is not so much what, what questions should I ask, but rather what questions am I actually interested in. Um, and a lot of those were not focused directly on the program. You know, I, I, like I said, I talked a lot about boarding in the context of, like, what do you, as an interviewer, think that the entire specialty of emergency medicine should yeah. do to confront this issue? Uh, I asked a lot of questions about burnout. That's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, and I, like I said, I got some really interesting philosophical answers from people that I think will shape how I view my career as a budding emergency physician. And for me, I think that's a lot more useful than asking about number of intubations entering here, right? And, and yeah. I think that interviewers respect that, too. Uh, you can gain a lot of traction by, by looking at the big picture, and people recognize when you're looking at the big picture, and they appreciate that. In terms of, like, concrete uh, things, one, one thing I'd cue you into as well, uh, EMRA, the Emergency Medicine Residents Association, has a great list of, I think it's like 150 questions to ask during interviews. Um, and I think it's really useful to, to look at that list and pick out some of the ones that are interesting to you. Just please don't ask all 150. <laughs> Wait, so don't print it out and bring it to the dinner the night before with your clipboard. Uh, yeah, I think that's good. I mean, you touched on some really good points that, you know, at the end of the day, reading these lists are great to stimulate your mind, but people can tell when you're actually interested in the questions that you're asking, right? And, right. and we all have a little bit different mix of interest even within the field, and so I think that advice to think about some big picture stuff, to think about the things that you actually are interested in is good. I love hearing too that you came out of interviews, not only having eaten free food and met really cool people, but also just sort of mentally stimulated in the bigger picture of the challenges facing the field. And, and as you mentioned before, you know, thinking about yourself and learning about yourself or your own research, you know, it, it puts a pretty exciting spin on that step of the process. And, and, you know, I think that that's a good reminder because we hear a lot in school about the challenges, about the hardship, about how, you know, stressful things are. Um, but there's also often the flip side to all those same experiences. So cool to hear that you're, that you're thriving out there. How can you tell when you're out there on the trail if the feeling is reciprocal? How do you tell, you know, you talked a little bit about how you get a feel for programs, but it's two-way, right? Like they're trying to impress you, but you're also trying to match to them as well. Can you tell by the end of an interview visit if the program actually liked you? Do you have any stories about how a program might indicate that they liked you? Like, how do you know? You guys go on this short, you know, date for a couple of days, so to speak, and then you leave, and 
And you can't even ask for their phone number out. No, yes. <laughs> I love them. I think they love me, but how do you tell? They, I think they're also dating other people every week. <laughs> do you want to lock it down for three years with me? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I've gotten clear uh, messages in, in terms of that. And I, I think that uh, the system is set up to discourage that. And sure. I think it's better, I think it's good that the system is set up to discourage that. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the match and how, you know, like when you tell your friends and family, like, oh yeah, I'm going to get this offer next year. And the offer is either go to this school or never be a doctor. People are like, that's crazy. And it is kind of crazy, but it works because it's the system that we have. Yeah. And one of the key aspects of that system working is that you're not making these little side contracts with programs. So I'm, I'm digressing a little bit there. So I, you know, I have not had any programs say, you know, like, oh, you're ranked to match, or, uh, you know, we would really like to have you here next year, that kind of thing. Um, I feel like there, there are some, like, subtle signals in that I feel like I, you know, I'll, I'll put it this way. Like, I, I had interviews where I left the interview thinking, like, wow, what a great conversation. I loved that. I got the sense that the person I was talking with enjoyed the conversation as well. Um, you know, like, I was able to express a lot of the reasons why I'm interested in this program, and the interviewer is able to kind of reflect a lot of those back at me and tell me which of them seemed to fit and which of them didn't. And I've walked out of those interviews and thought, yes, like this, this is good, a good fit for me. And I also got the sense that the interviewer thought that I was a good fit for them. Yeah. Um, and then I've had interviews where like I recognized that I was doing my best to come up with reasons why I was going to be happy there, but I was kind of struggling and like the interviewer was picking up on that and it, it stayed very cordial, but uh, I don't know. Like to bring it back to the dating analogy, like you feel the spark, you don't feel the spark. Yeah. And, like you can't, you can't overthink it too much. Sure. Um, any kind of big picture stories to share? You know, any topics or anything that we haven't chatted about as we kind of wrap this up? Or is there any any anecdotes from the trail? Um, we talked, or, you know, we were thinking of talking a little bit about, uh, the importance of kind of things you can do in the third year to set yourself up for a successful interview. Let's talk about, let's talk about that. Cause I know you mentioned at the beginning of the interview doing an away rotation and doing an interview as part of that. You talk about in this competitive, let's, we'll, we'll get away from this shiny, happy interviews were amazing. And I got to go to all the ones I wanted back to where I'm sitting right now, which is, you know, trying not to be driven by the fear of not getting interviews in the places that I want to go. Um, how, when you go back in time to third year, what is the strategy for targeting specific places or regions? Yeah, so the most important thing you can do is an away rotation. Um, I, and and that, that cuts two ways. The first way it cuts is that it's your opportunity to audition and show up and be a total emergency medicine stud for a month and make them fall in love with you. But maybe even more importantly, it's your opportunity to show up for a month and really get a sense of whether it's somewhere you want to be or not. Um, I, in, in looking at my rank list currently, uh, I was choosing between my current number one and number two for my away rotation like a year ago. Yeah. And I think it's very likely that the way my rank list is shaking out now is due to the way that I made that decision a year ago as to where I went. Because I, I went somewhere and I had a great time there. Um, and and now I know that I would be excited to be a resident there. And there's a lot of other places that I'm pretty sure I'd be excited to be in a resident at. Um, but my away rotation was the most valuable experience for me 
trying to get a sense of where I wanted to be. Um, so big plug, I mean, obviously you have to do an away rotation. So do an away rotation, do it somewhere that you want to be. Um, a lot of people will do two away rotations. I think that's great. I only did one. Um, I think if you do two, do two because there are two places you're interested in going and you want to learn more about. Don't do two because you're nervous. Don't do two because you feel like everybody else is doing it or you have to. Um, or sorry, don't do three because everybody else is doing three. Like if you do a rotation at your home institution and one away rotation, that's that's plenty. Um, do you mean do, uh, when you're saying do two rotations, do you mean do two away rotations is an option that some people do, not necessarily um, something that everyone will do, but if you had a reason to do two. Yeah, yeah, so sorry, I kind of got mixed up in the numbers there a little bit. but yeah, Three lot. total sub-I's right. in emergency medicine. Everyone will do one home and one away, but some people are also doing a second away rotation. Right, and when you're on the interview trail, you'll actually hear a lot of people who have done a second away rotation. Um, I don't know if this is true or not, but anecdotally, it seems like a lot of students from the West Coast are advised to do one away rotation, and a lot of students from the Eastern U.S. are advised to do two. Um, but I don't think one is right or wrong. Just be aware that other people will do two, and you don't need to be nervous if you only did one. Because um, you did one, right? I did one. Just one away. Your yeah. home, you did your home, and you did one away. Yeah, yeah. and I got um, plenty of interview offers from places that uh, – that I thought were maybe a little bit of a reach for me or that I would have liked to have done in a way at to really secure my position. And I think that the fact that I didn't do in a way there, really the only way it's going to affect me is that I, I'm not going to have had the experience there to draw me to them. I don't think they're looking at me and thinking, he didn't do in a way here, he's not really interested in him, we don't want him. Yeah. Um, so I think an away rotation is a great way to learn more about a program and to show interest. Um, I think if you are uh, someone who has lived most of your life in one region um, and you are interested in applying into another region, a one-way rotation can be a great method of showing that. Uh, so for example, if I knew that I really wanted to end up on the Eastern Seaboard, I have lived most of my life in Oregon. Um, and a question I got a lot when I was uh, at my handful of interviews on the East Coast was like, mm -hmm. you know, you've, you've lived most of your life in Oregon. Like why... Why here? Why do you want to come out to Maine? Why do you want to come out to, to Dartmouth? Um, and I, I think I had good answers to those questions, but it's a lot easier if you can say, well, I was here for a month and I loved it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that doing an away rotation in a different region can be useful for that. Um, other things you can do kind of during your third year, um, you know, really probably the most important is... Uh, just like the foundational stuff, like study hard for the boards, um, do well on rotations, and uh, your VSAS application will be strong. That will make your ERAS application strong. Uh, so those are kind of the key points. And then oftentimes uh, your advisors may have connections at places that you're particularly interested in. Um, so for example, here at OHSU, the kind of like the primary advisor for a lot of us going into emergency medicine uh, said, to everyone, like, you, you, you get one. Like, if there's one program you really want to go to and they didn't send you an invite, let me know and I will contact the program director there and I will see if I can make it happen for you. Um, so that's another thing to kind of be aware of. Like, if you've got a handful of places that you're really interested in, your advisors may be able to help you court those specific programs. Excellent. Excellent advice. Uh, any parting words of wisdom for students for, that you can share for those 
who are following in the footsteps of students like you? You know, no pressure. <laughs> Just what's the sage advice? Yeah. Um, or how about this here, before we even get there, is there anything that you learned... You know, one of the things that's kind of exciting about the interview trail or even just doing an away rotation, um, we live in our little microculture of our home institution and to be able to not only, I think, appreciate the great things that we have that we take for granted, but then also to learn from other students. Was there anything on the interview trail that you picked up from other students that, you know, that you just they carry with you still? You're like, man, I learned this one thing or I learned this idea or I saw this attitude I think that one of the things that my eyes were most open to during the interview trail was just the breadth of the practice of emergency medicine. Um, my home institution is a pretty academic medical center. The place I did my away rotation was pretty academic as well. And I, I love that setting and, and have really thrived in it. And I kind of got the sense that like, okay, this is what emergency medicine looks like. And then talking to students or doing interviews at more community-based programs or county-based programs opened my eyes to the fact that this specialty is so broad and you have to be able to work in so many different environments. Um, that was kind of exciting for me to see uh, to see all of the different types of good work that people are doing in emergency medicine and to recognize that all of those are career paths that will be open to me when I'm done with residency. In terms of words of advice, it's kind of a, it's a funny thing to part on, especially after you know, I spent close to an hour talking about all of these things that I've done and the way that I had it mapped out. But I think it's important to recognize that this whole process is kind of scary and you never feel like you know what you're doing. Um, and looking back, I think I've made a lot of great choices that at the time were just terrifying. And I had no idea, like right down to specialty choice. Um, I, you know, I was leaning towards emergency medicine for a long time. But right up until days before I submitted my application for residency, I was also considering pediatrics. Um, and gosh, the anguish that came with not realizing what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and feeling like I was making this huge, monumentous decision. Um, I think that that's something a lot of medical students carry with them every day, whether it be about specialty choice or about how well they're going to do on the next test or about which rotations they should take or where they should apply or where they should do their away rotation. Uh, it's a very stressful process, and you have to make a lot of really big decisions. Um, I would say that looking back over the last, you know, three, three and a half years of my life, it looks kind of like a highlights reel in, in retrospect. Like, yeah, things went really well for me time and time and time again. Uh, but along the way, uh, there was a lot of uncertainty. And I, I think that if you are in a place where you're experiencing that uncertainty now, just like, uh, take it from me that you can be in that place of uncertainty and still end up somewhere where you're really happy and where now I feel very confident that I made the right choice going into emergency medicine. I feel very confident that I made the right choice of where I did my away rotation and uh, and the track that I put myself on over the last three years. Um, so you're, you're choosing between good options. Enjoy the process. Don't stress too much about the details and recognize that a lot of the things that seem like huge decisions right now are, are still probably just details and, and not something we're stressing over. I love it. I love it. Um, how can people find out more about the, uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, some things that you were involved with here in the Northwest with wilderness medicine. Uh, can you put in a specific 
plug and detail uh, for yeah, us. A shameless plug to sweeten Do the it. deal for me. Yep. Uh, yeah, so uh, the website for the nonprofit that supports the conference, and we're actually adding in a med war. Tell us real quick uh, what the conference is. Yeah, so um, this is kind of my other big side hustle during medical school. Uh, as I was the president of the Wilderness Medicine Interest Group here, I recognized a need for more regional collaboration. So I just got together with some friends that I sent emails to without ever having met, said, hey, let's get together, let's hang out, go skiing for a weekend. And six months later, we were hosting a conference with uh, faculty lectures on wilderness medicine topics. And now three years later, that has ballooned into an annual conference with over 100 attendees um, that takes place over the course of three days um, at this lodge out in the woods. Um, it's been an incredible process to watch this thing grow and to, and to be there along the way. Um, so th this is a plug both for like finding what you're passionate about and pursuing it because those opportunities are out there and also for what I was passionate about. And if you want, you can pursue it as well. Uh, and either come to the conference, get involved. Um, there's a lot of opportunities for student leadership. Um, I will be kind of, you know, phasing out over the course of the next couple of years, um, at least in the kind of the day-to-day -day stuff of the conference. And we're always looking for new students who are passionate about emergency medicine, wilderness medicine. Um, this can be a, a, an arena for you to, to grow in and to show that you've grown. And, and man, the number of positive things I heard about this during my residency interviews, I can't even begin to list. So the website is www.pnwmed.org, that's Pacific Northwest, abbreviated, medicine, M-E-D, at O-R-G, um, dot O-R-G. Uh, and yeah, we've got a lot of details about the conference and a contact form. If you want to get involved, send us a message. We'd love to have you on board. Excellent. Excellent. Forrest, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us, for dropping the knowledge on those of us that are coming up uh, behind you and for reminding us that, you know, that despite some uncertainty and some stress, it all can lead to um, the place where we want to end up. And that is a fantastic specialty. It's good to just see people like you grinning from ear to ear, just coasting through the halls of the of campus here. Uh, we appreciate you sitting on and taking time with us. So Yeah, uh, honored to be here, Tate. Thank yeah, you so much. We hope that you get everything that you want out there. All right, brother. Good to see you. Take care. Take it easy.